Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Hey, church family, how are we doing this morning? Wonderful. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some of you are already there. Maybe if, you have a, if you're online, you just open your browser or whatever. However you access Scripture, have it ready. Um, again, I just want to express my thanks to Pastor David uh, for, you know, the idea to go up there. Uh, it was a little bit like a stepbrothers moment where it was like, hey, you want to go? Yes. And then we were just, I was in a, a plane somewhere uh, going to Kentucky. Uh, I also just want to express my thanks to this church family. Uh, you guys may not know it, but you gave me the day off to kind of go up there and check it out and come back. And so thank you so much for your generosity uh, and for being a church community that um, wants to know what God is up to in the world and wants to seek Him first. Uh, I went to Asbury a, a couple of Wednesdays ago. It was the Wednesday after the revival started, um, so about a week into it. When I got onto campus, you know, there's two sides to the campus there. Um, there's the college side and the seminary side, and the revival's happening on the college side in what's called Hughes Auditorium, about a 1,500-seat auditorium. And when I got there, what I noticed is that there were a 1,000 people standing in line at 12 o'clock. Uh, on a Wednesday. And it took me about an hour to stand in line and to get inside to see what was going on there. And to be quite honest, I wasn't sure exactly what I would experience. Uh, I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you guys know what I'm talking about, where they mishandle the ark and then the, you know, the Spirit of God comes out and consumes the bodies. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be one of those situations. I was a little nervous, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but when I got inside and got to my seat in the auditorium and kind of just oriented myself to what was going on again, uh, what, I, what I noticed was just that it was a mixture of extraordinary and ordinary. And it, it seems to me that whenever God works, there's always just this mixture of extraordinary and ordinary. There is divine and there's human, and they're kind of commingling together there as God is just touching earth with His presence. Um, there were uh, just nonstop people coming down front for prayer, just nonstop, just constantly. Just imagine a prayer team down here, and there were just nonstop people for hours. I was in there for a couple hours, and I'm told that as the revival went on for 24 hours or so, it was just nonstop people coming down for prayer. The music was primarily led by college students. The only leaders who came on stage didn't announce their names. They just simply said, I would like to read from Scripture, and they got off stage. The only name that was ever mentioned is the name Jesus, because they wanted to make sure that was the most important thing in the revival, that this is a move of Jesus. We spent uh, time singing songs. We spent time praying. Uh, we spent time reflecting on God's Word. We heard testimonies from people. There were people who got saved. There were people who reported answers to prayer in the moment. There were a lot of kind of what we might use the M word there, miraculous things going on. It was just an incredible experience, but also very ordinary. Uh, when people needed to, they got up and went to the restroom. Uh, if people were hungry, they went to the back and they got food and drink. And, you know, people got in their car and left to go get Starbucks and Chick-fil-A and came back to campus and ate it and then walked back in. You know, the fuel of God's people uh, right there. So there are all these really ordinary things, but also very extraordinary things. It's young people in their 20s um, gathering together, crying out for God. 
And in a world that says, hey, man, young people are just kind of disenfranchised with Jesus. Well, that may be true, but it's not true on the campus of Asbury University. God is doing something and he is spilling this kind of awakening fire over into other college campuses across the United States. And I tried to capture that a little bit uh, in my article. And so if you want to Google search that, uh, you can Google search Doug Hankins, Ordinary and Extraordinary, or just Google search that or go to our website. I'm sure uh, social media might have a link to it. I encourage you to read that. I wrote 2,300 more words on that. So if you have trouble uh, going to sleep tonight, you just need a really long form thing. You can read that tonight and that should, that should do the trick. No, um, but again, I'm thankful to the Gospel Coalition for publishing it as well. Um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 3. There's something extraordinary and there's something ordinary going on in this text here. Last week, Pastor David helped us to uh, see that if we're gonna be following Jesus, Paul says, we're gonna need to grow up. And he mentioned the ways that we try to help promote spiritual growth around here, Bible study, prayer, small group community, gathering regularly, serving regularly. Those are good uh, things we can participate in to help participate in our spiritual growth. After Paul has now talked about growing up, he's now gonna talk about building up and he's gonna talk about it in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. And so if you wanna read along with me, I'll read here, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, "'According to the grace of God given to me "'like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to notice here this morning is that growing up requires building up. If you're going to grow up in Christ, if we're going to grow up as the church, we're going to have to work on building up ourselves in Christ. Now, as soon as I say that, I can, you know, in, in Baptist spaces and Protestant spaces like this, we can kind of wince a little bit because there is a, a bit of uneasiness about this idea that there's going to be any kind of work involved in following Jesus. We kind of think about it like we're at the Orlando airport where we just get on that one flat thing. You know what I'm talking about when you go from the parking garage into the thing, into the airport, and there's the underground thing with the little, I don't know what it's called, the little uh, sushi belt for human beings. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you just kind of step on it and it moves you forward. There's kind of this belief that when we become a Christian, we just step on the sushi belt and Jesus's cosmic sushi belt just moves us forward uh, where we need to go. We, we, we wince anytime we hear the term work because works righteousness is what that other church across the street believes, right? It's what those other kinds of Christians believe and we don't believe in works righteousness. And so here's Paul saying, hey, if you're going to grow up in Christ, you're going to have to build yourself up. And we're going, Paul, what gives? Well, Paul has been consistent about this in his writings. Read with me a couple other passages here that are going to be on your screen. The first is in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Okay, what's happening there? God is working in you. Therefore, you need to work on yourself. It's both and. It's um, God is initiating. He's sustaining us when he saves us. Uh, he saves us. It's not us. But once he saves us, once he brings us into a relationship with him, he expects and leads us to cooperate with him in the process. Also in Ephesians 4, or, uh, when Paul's getting towards the end in Ephesians 4, he says, uh, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped 
When each part's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's building us. We've got to build up ourselves. God's growing us. We've got to work on our spiritual growth. It's both and. It's extraordinary. God's doing something we can't do. And it's ordinary. You can think about it like this. Uh, The two words I would use there is think effort, not earning. Think effort, not earning. Our problem with works righteousness, with with working on our own spiritual life is that sometimes we're afraid that anything we do, we're going to be earning our way. And let me just tell you this, before you know Jesus, before you know God, when, when you were once lost in your own sin and brokenness, you, you could not have earned your way towards the cross. Imagine my little podium there is the cross. You couldn't work your way enough to the cross. You couldn't be good enough to get there. You couldn't pray enough. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't do anything enough. You cannot earn your way towards the cross. Jesus has to save you out of his love for you by grace. You know, you can receive it by faith, but it's Jesus who is initiating this. It's Jesus who's drawing us towards him. We're lost and wandering over here and the cross pulls us towards it. And then we believe we receive Jesus into our life and there's a radical transformation that takes place. And once we're on the other side of the cross that we know Jesus and we're following God, we can now work our way from the cross in the spiritual life. You can't work your way towards the cross, but we are called to work our way from the cross. God is initiating. We're cooperating with him. We can't earn it, but we are asked to bring some effort to the table. And so Paul's telling us individually, build up your life. He's telling us as a church, build up your church, put some work there, put some effort there. Be careful, he says at the very end of 10, be very careful, take care how you build on this foundation. If you're going to grow up, you're going to have to build up. Just heads up. Now, Paul also says there's two particular ways we can be working on building up. Starting in verse 12, he tells us the first one. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or with silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Church family, what I want you to understand here and notice here is that If we're going to be people who build up, we're going to need to build with the right materials. We're going to need to build with the right materials. We're going to need to build with the materials of prayer and of worship gathering and of serving and of generosity and of of praise and of preaching. And we're going to need to build with the materials of evangelism and Bible study. And we're going to need to build with the materials of community. These are the the materials of the kingdom, the, the things that last. Paul says you want gold, you want silver, you want the things that last. What you don't want is straw or hay or any of those things, right? Why? Because trials will come, because new winds will blow, because rain will come and it will wash away things if they're not built properly. You know the story of the three little pigs, I think by now, right? You know, the first two pigs built with lesser materials and the wolf came and he blew and, you know, houses went down and they had to go running. 
And then they got to the third house and, you know, that was built with brick and, you know, or whatever strong material. And so when the, you know, when the wolf blew, the house didn't fall down. This is the, the same idea here that if we're going to be building, we've got to build with the right materials. We need to think endurance, not preference. Paul's calling us to think endurance, not preference. Now, why do I say this? What David talked about last week, Pastor David talked about last week, is this idea that there was some fighting going on in the church, right? And I know no one's ever known Christians in this room to fight before, right? We've never seen churches talk smack about one another, really, ever. We've never looked side-eyed at a church across town and be like, do you know what that church is doing? None of us have ever done that before, right? We're all united Christians, right? Okay. Well, a long time ago, right, there were these churches, it was a house divided, and some people were saying, I follow Paul, and some people were saying, I follow Apollos. And really, this was an issue of preference. People were saying, I prefer Paul, and other people were saying, I prefer Apollos. And it was causing division. Maybe you've experienced this before. Uh, you join a, a small group and you go, man, I, I, I'm in the small group. I don't know. I, I really would prefer we did it differently. I really wish we would do a different kind of study than what we're doing. Or you go to a church and it preaches topically and you go, man, I'd really prefer expositional preaching. And so you kind of leave that because you have these preferences. You know, preferences are okay. We all have our preferences. Some of you like hymns. Some of you like, you know, new loud rock and roll music. I'm looking in the front row right over here with our senior pastor who loves loud rock and roll music and it can never be loud enough, right? And he's like, praise Jesus, right? Uh, we all have preferences and preferences are okay. But what Paul is saying is don't let our preferences divide us. And when you think about building up your life, and when you think about building up the church, don't build with preferences. Don't build your materials on preferences. Build them on endurance. Think endurance, not preference. Let me give you uh, just a, another example here. Uh, when my wife Natalie and I moved here uh, to Orlando originally in 2016, uh, I'm from Texas. She's from Oklahoma. There are certain building styles that are kind of the, the thing there. You know, uh, Natalie loves kind of farmhouse style things, wood slats and, you know, shiplap. It's so much shiplap, right? Uh, and that's kind of her thing. And then I really, you know, I grew up in a lot of brick homes in Texas and that was our thing. Uh, and um, we got here and we were talking to our friend John who was helping us with real estate. And we were looking at these homes. And I just at one point said, hey, John, do you have any homes that aren't built out of concrete and stucco? Right? I mean, are there like brick homes or do you have any old farmhouses we could buy and fix up? And he was like, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. Uh, we could do that, but we have these things in Florida called hurricanes, right? You guys have heard of hurricanes before? Strong winds, they blow in, right? Uh, see, I'm from Texas. In Texas and Oklahoma, we just have tornadoes, right? It's like a Friday afternoon and you get the little alert and the weather guy is like, a tornado is forming. And you go, okay. And you go into your bathroom and you put the mattress over yourself and you just wait it out. You know, three hours later, you're good, okay? Not in Florida. In Florida, hurricanes start like seven weeks ago, right? <laughs> On this date, there will be a hurricane that's blowing your way, right? And it's always ominous. There is a, we're watching something that's happening in the Bermuda Triangle and it's coming your way. And each day you're getting the updated tracking positions. It's like this day is curving towards Jacksonville, but nope, on this day, it's actually curving towards Miami. And you're like, you're always, cause we're in Orlando. We're always like, where is Orlando in this, right? How does this work, right? And it's this whole thing and everybody's running to Publix and they're grabbing all the water and you're prepping for this stuff, but hurricanes come. And when they get here, uh, our friend John told us, your house has to be able to withstand a category four hurricane. So you have to build the house with the materials that will last that storm. 
This is what Paul's saying. Don't worry about your preferences. It's okay to have preferences. When you think about building your life, build it with endurance in mind. Why? Because storms are coming. God in his sovereignty allows us to walk through trials. It's how he refines our character. He makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And so he is gonna use trials. He's gonna permit these trials to come. He's not gonna keep them away from us. Again, you don't become a Christian and get on the sushi belt and just keep going. God allows these storms to come. And when they do, you wanna find yourself in a building built with materials that will last. Rains came, winds blew. My hope is built on you, we just sang. He is our firm foundation. And this leads us to the last thing I wanna say here that Paul wants to say here, starting in verse 18, Paul writes, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. The second kind of way we want to build is we want to build on the right foundation. And I want you to think dependence, not independence. When you construct the right materials, you want to construct it on the right foundation. We all know if you construct it on the wrong foundation, when these trials come, they're going to blow it away, right? Not only the materials, but also the foundation. If you've got a good foundation, you're good, right? Paul here has in mind, he's speaking to a kind of person that was popular, a kind of idea that was popular in this time in Corinth. Remember, Corinth is a kind of a major mega city there. It's much like Orlando. There are a lot of buildings going up. He's using this building metaphor, and he's talking about this philosophy that was popular called Stoicism. Now, you may not have thought about uh, philosophy recently, so I'll just give you a summary. Stoicism is a collection of ideas that states that self-sufficiency is the highest virtue. And this thing that Stoics were purported to say here is that all things are yours. Paul's quoting it at the very end there. He says, all things are yours. And the idea behind that is all things are already yours, so you don't need anybody else to help you. You don't need a friend. You don't need a community. All things are yours. You have enough rational constitution to be able to figure things out. You are a self-sufficient being. Stoics um, argued that self-sufficiency, if you lived this life of rational self-sufficiency, you would find the ideal life. You would find the happiness that you desired. Now, we may not think about Stoicism in those terms today, but there's still a lot of Stoic philosophy kind of ideas out there. And you can think about it anytime you hear of a story of a great man or a great woman who's been good at their sport or at their business or at something like that. You'll always hear them say, you know, when I came to this country, I only had $5 in my pocket. And then I turned that into a multi-million dollar media empire. And now I stand at the top of this organization and everyone's like, wow, how did you do it? And so they start, you know, this seminar that you go to where you can learn the principles that built them there. But almost always exclusively, they're talking about this idea of self-sufficiency, that they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. 
and that they worked hard and that they focused themselves and that they were very disciplined. And the implication is if you can focus and you can be disciplined and you can work really hard and if you can make tough choices, you will rise to the top of your organization. You will rise to the top of your field. You will rise to the top of your sport. And you will be this person we should all aspire to be, this person who has conquered everything and is really, really, really happy. And we see this over and over again in America and in the West. In fact, we have rooted our country politically in this idea of a declaration of independence, which we take to mean um, self-sufficiency, and we take it to mean a rugged individualism, and we celebrate it everywhere in sport and in culture and all these places. I was thinking about this as I was reading a recent Harvard study. Uh, there's a, an 80-year-long Harvard study on human happiness that has just come out. And there's a book called The Good Life uh, where the, the author of this study writes about his findings of over 80 years of what makes humans happy from a sociological perspective and a, a scientific a psychological perspective. And do you know what his big conclusion is? The human beings who are the most happy in this life are the human beings who have meaningful relationships. If you can find meaningful relationships, specifically by age 50, if you can find meaningful relationships, you are going to report higher levels of happiness at the end of your life. By contrast, if you are someone who does not find meaningful relationships, you will report higher levels of loneliness. And loneliness will be like this uh, social illness to you and you will find yourself extremely unhappy later in life. And as this author describes the people who are the most lonely, describes kind of what their disposition is like and how they operate and what their core philosophies are. As I was reading that, I was thinking about stoicism. I realized something. Self-sufficiency, if left untreated, is the chief symptom of loneliness. Think about it. Everyone you know who's made it to the top of their organization, someone inevitably will say, they stand alone among their peers. And when they report what it's like living at the top of their organization, these CEOs, these great men and women, they almost always say this, it's lonely here at the top. Why? Because self-sufficiency, if left unaddressed, will lead to loneliness. And Paul knows this. He says self-sufficiency is a terrible way, it's a terrible foundation for your life because when the rains come and the winds blow and you're there, you're gonna think I'm strong enough to withstand this and you never are. It will topple your life. A category four hurricane of a trial will come into your life and because you're all alone, you will have no resources to help you out and because you don't have anything stronger, it will blow your life away. And instead, Paul says, don't fall for that. That's foolishness. Instead, verse 23, verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Paul says the secret to having the happy life, the secret to building your life well is to build upon a foundation of Jesus Christ. Because just think about this. Let's just, do, let's just do a Wikipedia entry on who Jesus Christ is, okay? Let's just take some notes here today, right? God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is God. And so Paul says, if you have everything because you are in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is God, you have God at the core of who you are. 
And here's God. Just again, just a little Wikipedia entry. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He started the universe. He hung every star in place. He built all the galaxies. He built our galaxy. He put the planets in there, even Pluto, right? Whatever Pluto is today, who knows? He took earth and he positioned it in just such a way from the distance from the sun and he tilted it at just the such axis so that life could happen there and he started life there. He created human beings, he created animals, he created Adam and Adam in verse 26 of Genesis 1 is alone and God says it is not good for man to be alone. God already knew in Genesis 1:26 what Harvard, it took them 80 years to figure it out, right? I mean, shout out to Harvard for verifying it. I mean, trust but verify, that's good, right? Uh, but God already said this in Genesis, right? And so God says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created community. He created Eve. And now there's a family and there's a community there. And God walked with them in the coolness of the night and, he, he, and the day. And he, he was with them and he was with them. But human beings started to struggle with their own brokenness and their death. And so God sent Jesus into the world to show us how we might live the happy life. In fact, Jesus's greatest sermon is the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed is the man, happy is the man who lives this way. Jesus came to help us find happiness in this life in Christ. And he died on the cross to take care of our brokenness. And he rose from the dead, to, dead uh, to overcome our fear of death. And when he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us like a constant smartphone that never runs out of service, that goes everywhere we go so that God can constantly communicate with us. And then after he did that, that wasn't enough. He said, you know what? I'm going to send my Bible to you so that as you talk to me in prayer, I'll talk back to you in scripture. And as we read it, we can know specifically what God wants for our life. And then he didn't stop there. He gave us a church family to come around us so that we can love one another and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens and gather with one another regularly to encourage one another to live in this gospel of Jesus. And this is the foundation Paul says you should build your life on. Why? Because when hurricane force winds come through your life in the form of trials, that is a firm foundation. But we can only build our life on it if we are dependent on Jesus. And so church family, I want to encourage you from Paul's words here, work on building your life and help us build this church on the foundation of Jesus using the materials that will endure. I wanna tell you one final story here. Um, you know, my concern is when we talk about uh, some of these revivals like with Asbury, you, you might notice that these are all college students who are in the revivals and that this is primarily a young person thing. And especially as a historian of revivals, I noticed that, you know, often these revivals that happen are primarily filled with young people kind of doing new things, youth movements and things like that. And there's the tendency in this room to kind of check out because, you know, you're a 40 something or you're a 50 something or you're a 60 something or you're a 70 something. You know, ju just for the record, I'm a 40 something now. I've crossed over, right? Uh, I'm on the downhill slope of life right now at this point. Right? And I might think, you know, I've worked a lot with young people and I might think, okay, I go to Asbury, I see it. This is possible just for 20 somethings. But can I tell you a story of another movement that was happening that I got to be a part of? The first church, the church where I met my wife, Natalie, uh, was a church called Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. And 
It was a remarkable church. I had only known this very conservative Baptist church that I got saved in. Before that, I was an atheist. So I didn't know much about Christianity. But the church I got saved in, they sung hymns, or they sang hymns, and they wore suits, and they didn't like Billy Graham, and they had the King James only English. And I just thought that was the only church there was. And so I went to college, and I went to this church called Highland Baptist Church, and I walk in, and they're singing rock and roll praise songs, and there are women dancing in the aisles with streamers. And I'm just like, this is a cult. Uh, Right? I was like, I don't know what's going on here. But man, those people, they loved me. And they loved my wife. And the thing that struck me most about being part of that experience was that the people who led the way in that church weren't the young people. It was everybody else. In fact, the most radical people in that church, the most sold out for Jesus, leading in prayer, leading in praise, leading in preaching, leading in evangelism, leading in generosity, the most radical Jesus-following people in that church were the 70 and the 80 and the 90-year-olds. We several times had to go to different Sunday school classes to ask the 90-year-olds to stop praying to levitate because we were afraid that they would go out to the the interstate and try to pray to levitate and have cars coming in. They they were like that fired up. They're like, the Lord can do anything. He might make us levitate today. And we were like, whoa, like maybe maybe calm down with that a little bit. I'm I'm telling you, these people really, they may have been a little far out there, but these people really followed Jesus and they really wanted to know what he was about. And the funerals in this church were unbelievable. It was standing room only for the funerals. Because when one of these saints went out of there, everybody gathered to sing the songs and pray and seek the Lord. And I'm telling you, as a 20-something who came in there, I, I was so marked by that moment. Natalie and I learned, if the adults in the church will lead, the 20-year-olds will follow. And one of the things I wanna bring back to you guys from Asbury is that if you will lead in this church, we will follow. Wherever you are in this life, if you will lead, we will follow. With endurance, not preference. Dependent, not independent. and with effort, not earning, for his glory, for our good, and the good of this city that we love, called Orlando. So church family, I wanna invite us to pray. As we think about what God's told us this morning, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you make us into the kind of place where it is normal for Jesus to move incredibly in the ordinary and the extraordinary and where our people follow so that we can lead others to do the same for your glory and our good and the good of this people and this city that we love. It's in your name that we pray, amen, amen. Thanks church family. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. 
Have a great week.